You're listening to the Now I See podcast. I'm your host, Kit McCarty, and here with me today is pastor, mentor, and author, Andy McQuitty. Welcome, Andy. It's great to be here. Thank you. Andy is the author of the highly acclaimed Notes from the Valley, a spiritual travelogue through cancer. He also wrote The Way to Brave, Shaping a David Faith for Today's Goliath World, and his latest release, Your Best Life Later the subject of our conversation today. Dr. McQuitty earned degrees and numerous accolades and awards from Wheaton College and Dallas Theological Seminary. He served as the senior pastor at Irving Bible Church for 30 years and has recently created Kaleo Collective, a community for pastors and ministry leaders. He and his wife, Alice, have five adult children and four grandchildren. Andy, I see you as smart, charming, culturally attuned, a dynamic speaker and leader. How do you see yourself? I see myself as a, a, a very blessed grandfather and pastor. And, uh, you know, spending my, my time now that I've stepped out of the, the hot seat of being the senior pastor of a mega church for 32 years, uh, to be able to step back and take life a little bit more um, in a measured way. Uh, one of my friends told me, he says, Andy, now you just have time to be the friend of God. Mm-hmm. And I said, that is awesome. And so I committed myself to be the friend of God, and, and he put me right back to work. <laughs> so, <laughs> As God is what to he do. He said, okay, uh, you finished the first curve of, of your career in ministry for me, but now uh, I've got the second one for you. And uh, that second curve has to do with... Uh, ministering to pastors across America post-pandemic. Uh, we, we have seen the ranks of shepherds in our country decimated by the lockdowns for almost three years. Uh, at one point during the pandemic, we were losing 1,500 pastors a month in America. And during that time, the Lord just kept knocking on my heart saying, Andy, it's time for you to help these guys. You, you, you can help them, and I want you to do that. And I, I kind of, you know, I heard God speaking to me, but for a whole year I, I kept making excuses why I couldn't do that. I knew that would involve creating a, a new 501c3. I, I've been a pastor for my whole career. I've never been a CEO. I, I've never filled out the infamous Form 1023 for uh, a nonprofit with the IRS. I've never been the CEO of a company. And uh, I kept saying that to the Lord. I'd like to do that, Lord, but I don't know how, mm-hmm. you know. And finally, he got tired of my excuses, and he said, well, look, I've given you a lot of friends who are consummate businessmen, and they know all about 501c3s, and they will help you. 
So I was out of excuses, so I formed a board. We launched the thing. It's called Kaleo Collective. We just went live with our website, Kaleo Collective, Kaleo with a K, dot org. And um, we're, we're getting things rolling down the road. It's a ministry that's based basically on gathering pastors together in online Zoom cohorts that are led by experienced, successful pastors uh, who are reaching out to, to these men and women around the country um, to join their cohorts and to be involved in, the, in, in an ongoing learning community of their peers. And uh, so all I'm doing is, is I'm recruiting the, the, the pastors. We've set up the website. We've got uh, CRM. For, for fundraising, it's it, it is a nonprofit, so I'm going to be raising money for this thing forever. But um, you know, go to the the website and you find out how you can be involved. We'd really appreciate it. Wow, that is so exciting! And you said you felt ill-equipped to meet that, but I can see all of your life experience leading you right up to this path. I mean, as a head pastor, especially when the church was very small, you did kind of serve as a CEO, making lots of important decisions, and and certainly now that's being called into play. And then as the church grew, you were surrounded by pastors, and so you've been shepherding pastors all along. This seems like such a natural fit, and I love to see you running in your lane. That's so. So exciting. Yeah, thank you. Um, so what um, things do you bring to this uh, collective that you think will be instrumental in its success? Um, basically, uh, I bring a heart of, of love and understanding for pastors in the pressures that they face, in the, in the leadership challenges that they deal with on a regular basis, in the, in the challenge of them keeping their own soul care healthy in their families. Um, and, um, you know, I myself was blessed for over 30 years here in DFW as I pastored Irving Bible Church to meet with pastors of some other mega churches in the Dallas area. And we became close friends, I mean, 30 years friends, meeting once a month for lunch, senior mm-hmm. pastors. Good. And um, I look back on that time, and the, that's what kept me going. That's what kept me going through all kinds of financial problems and theological issues and, uh, you know, congregational blow-ups and Mm -hmm. conflicts about Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that every church goes through. Um, I was able to meet with my other senior pastor friends once a month. We go in and we shut the door. And what happened in that room didn't leave that room. And uh, we saw each other through um, uh, all sorts of, you know, horrendous issues like conflicts on elder boards, coup attempts by staff, um, deaths of of, of key leaders in your church and on your staff, uh, theological controversies that were erupting in the evangelical church. Um, And uh, we, we could get in that room and we were truly a community of peers and that's what I'm making Kaleo Collective. It's, it's cohorts that are made up of, of peer. It, you know, pastors, if you think about it, though they have all kinds of groups that they're part of in their church, they don't have a peer group. They have the elder board, they have staff, they have deacons, they have you know, discipleship groups, they have all sorts of official church function groups. But, you know, a true peer group where the people in that room all are sitting on the same hot seat that you are. And the Lilly Foundations just spent 10, 
million dollars trying to discover what it is that keeps pastors healthy in the ministry. And they found out that it was engagement in a community of their peers. And that's right where you are. And uh, so that's that's why we're launching it. And uh, we're excited about it. Uh, got a lot, lot of work to do, but uh, I think God's in it. Well, and I've seen you go through several really successful transitions that are going to be so useful to your ministry, too. So we moved from a small downtown church to a big mega church on another side of town. So you had that transition of really changing the nature of your congregation. You went through several building campaigns, just finishing one here recently. Uh, you've been through the pandemic. You yourself have been through cancer, which was an interesting challenge, an interesting personal challenge. And so is uh, we think about pastors in transition. Uh, moving from church to church or coming out of the pandemic or just dealing with uh, the way that society is changing and, and the big deconstruction movement. I imagine there are a lot of pastors who are going to need the kind of encouragement and support that you offer, and I'm thrilled that you're going to be in there. Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, what you're, what you're saying is that change is a part not just of life in general but of the ministry Absolutely. in particular. And, um, you know, a congregation, church congregation, is, is just a microcosm of the, of, uh, the whole culture writ large. And um, so the, the kinds of turmoil, challenges, um, joys and failures and heartaches that our culture goes through, and as you rightly point out, it's going through a lot of them right now. It sure is. It's all reflected in, mm -hmm. the, in, in the, the eco-structure, the ecosystem mm -hmm. of a local church. And uh, pastors are the ones on the hot seat. They, they are the shepherds of the flock. And that means that uh, though they probably wouldn't choose these controversies, these uh, cultural issues to have to speak into and lead through, uh, they, they come nonetheless. And so you trust God to give you the wisdom and the, and the courage to do and say and move in the directions that, that he would want you to do. Where did you find the wisdom and courage to endure on the hot seat? And that's uh, from expectations from uh, an elder board, expectations from the church family, expectations from people outside of the church community, your own family and the demands that they placed on your life. Where did you find the wisdom and the courage to persevere? Um, I, f I found the wisdom from God. Uh, and that's, that's through a, a disciplined and rigorous personal study of the word and a discipline of prayer mm. and I'm not making myself out to be so, like Brother Lawrence or something <laughs> you know Saint Loyola or Ignatius or one of the church fathers here um, this, you know what what I'm saying to you is um, that I would not have survived if I wasn't walking close with God mm. and uh, you know it, it, it's simple you know Every day, every day in the Word, every day meditating on the Word, every day praying my heart out, and then getting up and going out and seeing, okay, Lord, what do you have for us today? And He was with me through that time. And uh, without Him, um, without the Holy Spirit, without the courage um, that the wild goose, which is the, the Celtic designation of the Holy Spirit, I'm Irish, so I like that designation. With the wild goose, you know, right at my side, the paraclete and the word of God, um, we, we didn't just survive. 
I've been in ministry, full-time ministry for over 40 years. In that 40 years, I didn't just survive. I thrived in it. You did. But um, I, I, I take no credit for that by myself. I'm, I'm like a little child uh, who needed to be led by the hand by the Lord mm-hmm. and, and who needed to sometimes grab me up and shake me out by the scruff of my neck and, and, and get me right with my family and with my with my church and with my calling and you know um you know sometimes he had to discipline me hebrews 12 man you know whom the lord loves he disciplines and uh man he loved me a lot (laughs) he loved me a whole (laughs) lot and uh so but it was just this great adventure which is the the way i describe it that is available to all of us kathleen as you know as as Christ followers, uh, we're all invited into this great adventure of following Him, and uh, He's promised that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He's the the Lord is my shepherd. You know, He leads me beside still waters. He He He, he leads me into green pastures. He restores my soul. Uh, that's how I found, mm-hmm. and that's how all of us find the strength, the courage to, to flourish in whatever the calling is that God has on our life. And we all have one. We all have one. And it's deeply spiritual, and it's globally important. Um, you know, the idea that only sort of the, the, the prominent leaders in the kingdom of God, like pastors and missionaries and all this kind of stuff, authors of Christian books, are somehow... Their calling is more important. No, it's not. Um, and, you know, you, you read Paul's epistles about the gifts and the body and so forth. You realize that everybody works together in this great adventure of uh, fulfilling the prayer that we make in the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Mm-hmm. That's what we're all about. Amen. Is Learning and loving together under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit and, and the Word of God and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our, our great shepherd, um, in, the, in the great construction project of the kingdom of God on earth. And so, yeah, there's a whole lot of different ways to contribute to that. I've, I've contributed in my ministry, my full-time ministerial ministry, I was... Uh, I, I was four years a youth pastor. I was three years an associate pastor. I was 32 years a senior pastor. And, uh, and now I'm a CEO. <laughs> and now I'm a, an author. And, um, you know, so, yeah, your, your opening statement that change, you know, change is part of life and it's part of church life especially is so true. But um, it's all beautiful. It's a great adventure. Well, I'm so glad that you see it that way, because for you, it's been fraught with challenges that you've had to overcome. And I'm glad you took good notes, because those show up in the books we're going to talk about in just a minute. Listeners, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear more from our guest today, Andy McQuitty.
As Andy said, life is a great adventure. And listeners, I'm so glad you're in it with us. If you're new to our show, I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and become a regular guest at our conversational table each week. And please give us a big blue thumbs up. Share our show with your friends and leave us a good rating and review so others can find us too. You can find out more about the Now I See podcast by visiting our website at nis.media. While you're there, check out episodes you may have missed, books by our favorite authors, including today's guest, Andy McQuitty, and get acquainted with our featured causes, like the ones we're highlighting this month, United Cry, and Be Loved and Be Love. We'd love to find out more about you, so drop us a line on our site or on any of our socials, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Now I See Pod. Now, let's get back to our show. We are back from our break with our guest today, Andy McQuitty. So, Andy, when we left off at our break, we were talking about life's challenges, and I'm glad you never backed down from any of them. But you made some great notes, and you have some encouragement to give us along the way. So why don't you uh, take us there? Yeah, Kathleen, I think, um, you know, as I look back on some of the the, the huge benchmarks in my life, uh, the, you know, experiences that I went through that really defined who I was and my ministry thereafter. Um, I, I think I think the one that I have to look back on uh, with the most reverence for what God did in my life was my diagnosis with stage four colon cancer in the summer of, of July 2009. Um, it was, you know, I was like 50 years old. So this, this was well into, you know, I was... Uh, I've been, you know, 30 years almost uh, in full-time ministry at this point. And, um, and, you know, it's not, it's not like the ministry that I had before that time as a youth pastor, an associate pastor, a senior pastor at IBC, that, that those years were unproductive or unfruitful or anything, uh, or that my spiritual life was kind of dry or non-existent or whatever it was it was there and god was blessed and so forth but i'll tell you after this intervention uh <laughs> this this great uh traipse through the valley as i call it um uh all that you know just came alive and and god god showed up in my life and became real to me in a way that just changed everything so um you would you had asked me to talk a little bit about that experience and, and so let me let me just read to you a couple of paragraphs from an article I wrote for the Dallas Morning News. They requested me to write this article called Hope from Despair. 
this was during Easter season one year, and, and they reached out. They said, hey, you, you've got some Easter kind of stuff. And so I wrote this article. Here's, here's how I started. Uh, uh, 14 years ago now, uh, I experienced an exquisite miracle of God. Not water into wine, the Lord knows I'd still love some Lafitte Rothschild, but despair into hope. My dalliance with despair began with my diagnosis, stage four cancer, 8% survival rate. Then came surgery to remove the tumor and part of my colon, hence my new nickname, semicolon, <laughs> along with chemotherapy's dreaded gifts, hair loss, nausea, constipation, neuropathy, and bowel movements like singeing volcanic magma, oh joy. That Christmas season ordeal's relentless dailiness plunged me into the despair of seeming abandonment by God. I became like Jesus' disciples, Cleopas and his friend in Luke 24, moping their way to Emmaus, convinced that Jesus' crucifixion had likewise left them alone. I, like them, felt like I had been I was becoming accustomed to darkness so that I failed to recognize God's presence in my personal world of hurt. But then, through some long dark nights of the soul, I stopped shaking my fist at heaven for abandoning me and instead reached out to Jesus to enlighten me. He kindly obliged, walked a little way with me, like with Cleopas, and reminded me of his promise, not that I would never suffer, but that when I suffered, it would be fruitful and purposeful. Because as he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So in just a few days, Jesus' promise internalized, changed my entire perspective as one too young to die, from victim to pilgrim, abandoned to beloved, cursed to blessed, and despairing to hopeful. No longer was my journey through Cancer Valley a death march. It was now a grand adventure. Like I said before, even better than water to wine. So that's kind of the story of that little interlude in my life. And, um, you know, I, I came through that. The Lord, I think, miraculously healed me uh, through the prayers of a whole lot of people, especially here at IBC. And uh, I did record that whole experience in a book that Moody published called uh, Notes from the Valley, a spiritual travelogue through cancer in which... The 10 chapters in that book, each one of them is a question that I, as a cancer sufferer, and my family had mm -hmm. of, of God, and, uh, and just the answers that God gave me to those 10 questions. And that's flown off the shelves. It still goes all around the world because there's so many people that deal with this, not just them suffer themselves, but their families yeah, as well. And this absolutely. book is written to all of them. But it did change me, and uh, it, it, it took me deeper. It made life uh, more precious to me because I no longer took it for granted. And to this day, when my feet hit the floor every day, I say, Lord, this is icing on the cake. Thank you, you know. So the perspective change of that really um, I consider one of the great gifts that God gave me in my life. And, uh, and so when I, when I meet and I, I get calls and letters from from cancer sufferers all over the world still to this day that are reading the book and so forth and um they all they 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 all understand um i i, I call it membership in a very exclusive it is. spiritual club 
It's and um, when they when people will contact me the first time, I'll say, "Hey, welcome, welcome to the mm-hmm. club. This is, mm-hmm. you know, by invitation only." But man, you've been invited. So mm-hmm. come on in and let's let's enjoy let's enjoy the journey through the valley. Mm-hmm. And the book Notes from the Valley, the conclusion, I, I take the persona of a travel guide. You know, I'm your travel guide through the valley of the shadow of death. And uh, basically I'm here to point out to you that there are many painful and difficult things in this valley, but there's also some beautiful things here. And we want to see all of it together. Mm, so good. that really was formative. Yeah, I, you know, I, I came through. They, de- they declared me in, in remission uh, three years after the initial diagnosis. Praise God. And I've been clean ever since. It's, it's kind of a miracle. But um, I've also been changed ever since. And, um, you know, just more aware and cognizant of the immense privilege that it is as a, as a child of God to serve to be alive to be filled with the Holy Spirit to to have God's love shed abroad in my heart through the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, it's 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 privilege that that I had largely taken for granted before the cancer but post cancer I never take it for granted mm-hmm. ever again and um, I, I just think that the discipline of daily gra- gratitude to God and um, just an, an expression of, of my availability now for however many more days he has for me on this earth to serve him um, is um, is what makes every day a joy now that I'm pushing 70 and feeling my age and wrangling with the government over Medicare <laughs> and Social Security and doing all the stuff all that, the that all the, the old people in my, in my category have to deal with, you know, it keeps my life full of, of light and love and joy. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all from him. Wow. Well, with that wisdom that you gleaned during that time, then you were able to channel that into other books and into love letters to your children, which is kind of the basis for your most recent release. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's it, actually it's uh, it's not love letters. It's journals. I wrote five journals to my children. And uh, and, and basically the, the, the way this came about is. Uh, that uh, as a young pastor, and we have five children, um, as a young pastor, um, when I was still an associate pastor over at Northeast Bible Church in, in Garland, right after I graduated from seminary, um, our first child, our oldest daughter, Julie, was five years old. And um, I, just, I just had so much love for that little girl. She just had my heart wrapped around her little finger. As it should be. We all and, loved uh, her. That's right. <laughs> and, um, you know, the Lord just, uh, there were so many things I just wanted to talk to her about and, and teach her and, and arm her with and give her protection, give her encouragement, give her joy. But, you know, she was five and the things I was wanting to talk to about were adult things, young adult things. And um, so I just determined I'm going to write a journal. I'm going to start a journal. And I'm going to write it to her, and uh, and 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 I'm going to say all the things now to her 
even while physically she's just a child, I'm going to say all the adult things that I want her to hear someday. And so uh, that's what I did with her and uh, not realizing that I'm going to have another daughter, Elizabeth, and, oh, wait a second. You know, when Elizabeth came along, my first thought was, i got to write her a journal now, yes, too. Yes, sir. <laughs> and then uh, I thought, well, okay, I, I can manage that. And then Bonnie came along. That's three journals I had going. And then I thought I was through. No, we had two more boys after that. So I wound up, I was writing five journals for about, and, and the whole project from the first words in Julie's journal to the last words in Jeffy's journal, he was my youngest son, uh, was almost exactly 25 years. So this was not a project that I ever started with the intention of publishing it, ever. Mm. Uh, it was not... <laughs> It was not even a, a, a project, as I just described, that I ever thought I'd finish because I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. But um, I Should did. We ever? I, I slogged <laughs> on through. And uh, I just, you know, I, so I, I got this system where I had all five journals and they were little spiral school notebooks that were stacked on my, I bought them at Walmart, I think, and uh, stacked them on my, on my desk at, at the office. And I had all five of them. I was writing, not every day in every one, but, you know, I, I probably write once once a week or maybe every two weeks in one of the journals. And then I would put it on the bottom of the stack, and so the next one mm -hmm. up would get the mm -hmm. next one. And so I slogged through 25 years of doing that. And, uh, and basically... Uh, <laughs> uh, I presented the journals to the kids when we dropped them off in their freshman dorm room uh, at the university where they went. As if and, that so, drop-off wasn't hard enough. Yeah. I, you know, I, and so, obviously, Julie, the first one, I mean, when I gave her her journal, word got out to her siblings. See, I had said a word about these to any of the kids. And so when I gave Julie hers, the others learned, oh, well, he must be writing us one too, and we'll probably get it. And they did, freshman year in college, and uh, and so <laughs> the uh, I, I I did have a little bit of common sense when I presented these handwritten one of one of a kind journals. Before I gave it to them, I had my assistant here, Donna O'Reilly, make a photocopy of the whole <laughs> journal. You know, I'm, I'm going to give this this thing I've worked on for 18 years in four four of their cases, you know, without a backup. No, I, I'm going to give them the original, but I, I kept a backup. And uh, and so fast forward now to, um, I guess, maybe five years ago when uh, I was retiring as, as senior pastor here at IBC. They threw me a big banquet. And, and Donna, my assistant, she thought it would be cool to fly all my children in and read excerpts from their journals at this, at this banquet. I'd forgotten all about it, but she remembered because she made the copies, remember? <laughs> and so she did. She flew them all in, except Bonnie. She was in China, and they videotaped her reading from their journals at this banquet for me. And uh, that was so cool. I mean, I, I loved it. I'd completely forgotten about these things, but after that evening, they're 
probably four or five hundred people at that thing, and I was inundated with people who said, "You got to publish those. Mm-hmm. You got to get. Mm-hmm. We we. You've got to make those available." Mm-hmm. And uh, so, through a wild series of events, publisher approached me and said, "Hey, let's let's digitize these things and publish them." And that's what. Um, your best life later subtitle what every daughter and son needs to know that's what this new book is from from leadership books and uh, how many of those worked themselves into sermon topics as you were raising spiritual sons and daughters here <laughs> oh you know the the things i wrote to my children the things i preached from my pulpit here it was all of one origin Mm-hmm. You know, that my maybe. family, and you you may remember some examples of this, was always the great illustrations of, <laughs> in my sermons. And uh, Whether they liked so, it or not. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So, anyway, the, the, the book um, really has, uh, has, has, you know, the first question I had to ask, answer with my with my publisher of this book is well who is my audience for this thing Mm. and uh the first and primary audience are young adult christians um that i foresaw maybe their parents buying them this book and dropping the book with them in their freshman door when they drop them off young christians going out in the world and here's here's the you know and i encourage parents who do that to to read the book and make sure they agree with it and then they can say to their son and daughter I want you to read this mm-hmm. you know and it's 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 made into daily devotionals uh, because part of my part of my kind of scheming here in this book is to is to get young adults especially when they're they're going out of the house for the first time into a regular habit of spending time daily Good. in God's word and so we bucked up the the journals into into daily doses um but and 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 I added some little titles and some some kind of little uh, scripture verses or whatever to conclude a summary statement of the thing uh, that can be fruitfully used in in a daily devo. But that's not how it has to be used. Uh, the other the other audience that I have for this book are parents who are raising children and who may want to do something like this for their own children or have these conversations or, and with have their these teams. conversations sure. and so. As I Good. say in the book, I said, you know, if, if you are a parent and uh, you're raising children, maybe you've just had a newborn in your family, you want to start a project like this. Um, I want this to, to form uh, sort of a, a template for them to follow in writing to their own children. And, and basically the, the, the main point about, uh, about that that I make in the book is in the introduction is that if you... If you're a parent and you're thinking about writing uh, journals for your own children, uh, first of all, great, because that's your job. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I say great in the book, discipline. I say, you know, one of the things that led me to start writing all those years ago was Proverbs 1, 7 through 9, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction... And do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. I read that verse all those years ago, and I thought, wait a second. God is saying to Julie, my little girl, that you 
need to listen to your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. And I asked myself the question, well, wh where is that? <laughs> you know, wh where is my teaching that J Julie is supposed to listen to? I'd, I didn't want to get the, you know, seeing her leave home and confronted with God's command to listen to my instruction, and I did, never gave it to her. So good. And so that's why I wrote these. And, uh, but, but the thing is, I didn't write these journals as my instructions to my children. And this is really important to get. Uh, I wrote these journals uh, to basically be Jesus' disciples in front of them. Good. So it's not about me just, you know, reading commentaries and writing kind of biblical little devotionals, you know, of instruction. It's no. It's it's me paying attention to what God's doing in my life through the, the scriptures and through experiences and so forth. Um and 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 then writing it down what God's doing in my life, both the good and the bad. I mean, you got to mm -hmm. be transparent. Mm -hmm. you got to be mm -hmm. open. I do not come off as a hero in a lot of this stuff. <laughs> and, Which parent uh, ever has. <laughs> and that's what my publisher said. That, that's the reason I wanted to publish this, mm, so is good. that this is transparent. This is, this is real. You are just being Jesus in front of your children. So here's the implication. If you're a parent, you want to do something like this for your children. Basically, your commitment is not to write journals to them. Your commitment is to become a committed Christ follower. Come on. You have to be in the Word. You have to come every day to the, to the gate, listening and watching for the Lord. You have to be in prayer. You have to be making hard decisions. You have to be a disciple. And all you're doing in the journals is you're being a disciple in front of them. Mm, so um, that's a little bit, that, that's both a, a challenge and a warning to parents who want to do this. The warning is, don't don't do this if you're just going to be all pedantic and you know you're just going to write stuff that you got out of a commentary, um, or throw but, their book at them and uh, figure, it, tell them figure the, it out. But the challenge is, you you follow Christ, you develop a discipline of prayer, you uh, you, you become a, a committed Christ follower and disciple. And then just, you know, as you're going, just, just write little notes about that to your children. Hmm. That's, that's what's going to change their lives. That's Absolutely. what, you know, God, I believe, introduces change into our lives as parents. Four is so that we can show our children, okay, here's how you deal with something like this. Mm -hmm. Personal failures, attacks, uh, challenges. Um, all the things that we deal with in life. And um, that, that's why I got the subtitle of the book, What Every Daughter and Son Needs to Know. I want to go back to the title. So yeah, for, yeah. for a long time, we've been told to live our best life now. But you <laughs> are saying best life later. Why? Well, it's, it's, it's just a, 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 it's kind of a little inside joke on the actual timing of the, when I wrote this book. Mm -hmm when I wrote these journals to the children and when they, they actually received them and could understand <laughs> and read them. It wasn't the same, you know. Uh, for Julie, uh, it was 25 years. 
you know, or for, or for Jeff, it was 25 years after I started. Um, so your best life later, uh, this, this is what you need to know. Uh, it's, and it's not um, comprehensive. I mean, I, I make no claim that ev everything that, you know, we need to know as Christ followers is in here. But, you know, um, I, I think 25 years of a, of, a, of a father trying to follow Christ and then just writing that down for his children, um, you, you can touch on pretty much every kind of topic. And, and I, you know, I wrote another article for the Dallas Morning News on this book in which they, they wanted me to um, talk about it. And so let me, let me read you like some, some four instances okay. of what I write in this book. Um, so, so among other things in Julie, Julie's journal, uh, I wrote to her about self-esteem and how it's best not to be rooted in the opinions of others. I wrote about perseverance because success is never final and failure is never fatal. I wrote that in her life, nothing is wasted and everything God allows her to endure has purpose. Among other things, I wrote in Elizabeth Grace's journal about living for an audience of one, choosing God over man every time. I wrote about sacrifice and how it's always better to suffer for the right than to wink at evil. I wrote to her about sowing seeds of faithfulness to God and how she should never underestimate the power of planting. Mm, good. So, among other things, I wrote to Bonnie Caroline about foolish presumption and how when we bypass the Lord, we also bypass his blessings. Mm -hmm. I wrote about true success in life and how the greatest asset in any life is the blessing of God. I wrote about the depth of our character and how it determines the height of our achievement. I wrote about inevitable change in life and how we mustn't cry because it's over but smile because it ever happened in the first Good. place. So among other things, I wrote in Jonathan Andrews' journal about observing a weekly Sabbath because there's more to life than just work, effort, and achievement. I wrote about big dreams and how if we shoot for the moon, even if we miss, we'll hit higher than the trees. I wrote that the true reward of following Jesus is simply being with him not getting stuff from him. I wrote about self-denial and how he who hates his life in this world shall keep it into eternity. And then, lastly, I wrote, among other things, to Jeffrey Lee, my youngest son, about spiritual security and how holding on to God goes both ways because he never lets go of us. I wrote about life's inevitable trials and how we can embrace them as God's way of bringing us maturity and blessing. I wrote about independence and how freedom of choice brings responsibility, accountability, and consequences. So, you know, that's just a that's just a taste of of, of what I what I wrote in these journals over mm -hmm. the years, and uh, I had to apologize when this all came out to Jeff, my youngest, because I noticed the pattern that that you might predict that when I started. Uh, with Julie, hers was the only journal, so I wrote <laughs> in it more. I, there were more entries in Julie's journal than Jeff. I mean, and I, I think maybe Je Jeff's journal was by a factor of 30% less than Julie. And and the others were kind of stepped up, you know, 
I'm going to say he got crystallized wisdom, though. Well, I, I think, I, you know, I, I did kind of explain it away to him that, um, yeah, I, wa- I was a better writer and wiser. And so what mm-hmm. I wrote was maybe more condensed, but <laughs> fewer words, but just as much wisdom. Um, but anyway, um, he, he's, he's good with that. And uh, he... Uh, he, he rips me about it all the time. He, he and his film company were just nominated for an Emmy wow. award oh, in L.A. And they lost out to Ron Howard. And so, you know, I, I hope I hope Jeff, Jeff doesn't think that they, they didn't win that Emmy because I didn't write as much in his journal. <laughs> I, I'm sure he doesn't. But yeah, I'm proud of all these kids. They've all gone on to do mm-hmm, great things. They sure have. And they are amazing. And uh, so, but, you know, this is... This is just, you know, kind of uh, a serendipity in my life because I never intended to publish this. I've got other projects that I'm working on. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting a new ministry, Kaleo Collective. I've, I've got two other book uh, books in the works. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and my wife as well, Alice, is now working on her doctorate in theology. Fabulous. And uh, she's writing and... And, and teach you. So, you know, both of us, if we thought our, you know, our our 60s and 70s were going to be years of dotage and vacationing and laying around and visiting our children in Florida and so forth, uh, we're going to do all those things, but we're going to do a whole bunch more besides, and we're grateful for it. Well, I think that you are um, proof that when you settle those big issues about self-esteem and who you're accountable to and what things are important in life and um, how to be honest in difficult situations, I think that you're proving that you will not only have a good life now, but a best life later, and you're certainly doing that. So before we wander too far from your books, tell people how they can find them. Well, um, all my books are on Amazon, Okay. so you can get them there. you can specifically get this new book uh, also from direct from the publisher, Leadership Books. And you just Google Leadership Books and you can, you can get copies of, of your best life later. There. Fabulous. Plug Kaleo one more time. How can people get yeah, in touch Kaleo, with that organization? KaleoCollective.org. Uh, Kaleo is a Greek word to call. It's uh, K-A-L-E-O. KaleoCollective.org. And... Um, just say, love for you to go to the website, you know, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a church leader, or whether you're just a, a Christ follower in a church and you care about pastors and you care about the flourishing of your church. Um, go there and see what we're doing and how we can help and, um, and maybe join up with us. We'd love to have you. KaleoCollective.org. That's great. So if somebody wants to continue this conversation with you, I'm assuming they can find you there. Yes. Okay. As we close out our show today, is there anything you'd like others to see more clearly as a result of our conversation? Um, I think maybe I could summarize my heart on that in, in, in basically just um, affirming that though the dailiness of our discipleship may sometimes seem small and ineffectual, it's actually building the foundation of the greatest things that we could ever imagine and things that we can't even imagine, as Paul the Apostle says, that God wants to do in our lives if you're daily about it. 
the, the, the daily rhythms of connecting with God and, 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 and submitting to His Holy Spirit and enlightening your soul and your mind with the Word of God for direction and for vision. Um, that, that, that bears fruit uh, that you can't even imagine, but you have to do it every day. So just, hey, be a disciple. And be a disciple in front of your children, mm. you know. Good word. Good word. Thank you so much for this fabulous conversation today. I'm glad you made time for it. And listeners, we'll see you again next week. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's eye-opening interview. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website at nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise, and to Joel Salazar, who created and performed the new Now I See theme song. 